Okay, so we are good. Vach. Yeah. Hi, Shavuot Tov. Shavuot brother. A good week, brother. Thank you. All right, we, we're talking about eschatology. Is that what we're doing today? Yes. Eschatology, that is correct. Correct. That is uh, that means a uh, a belief about uh, the end times. The end times. I I always find it strange. The end of end of days does does not sound very Jewish at all. No, but it means yeah, it comes from it mode. comes from from Torah. Yeah, I always thought it came from other religions. That it was. You not thought it was like Christological. Ancient. Yeah, but no, it it it, it comes from But it's so it's so such sounds so different when you say it in Hebrew. Well, depend, yeah. <laughs> depends what tone you say it with. You know, if you make it like doom and gloom. And uh, you know about the, uh, there's this car driving through the country, a little country road, Sunday drive, driving down the road, do, 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 do. And uh, as he's driving, he sees, he sees on the side of the road two uh, rabbis with long black coats and beards, black hats. And they're holding, they're holding up a sign that says, turn back, turn back, the end is near. And the guy sees the, the driver, sees the sign, and he screams, you religious nuts, stop bothering people. And he keeps driving full speed ahead. And all of a sudden, there's a loud, a loud crash and a splash. And one rabbi says to the other, he says, we should just change the sign to say bridge out ahead. <laughs> they weren't they, being religious nuts. They were just trying to help people. Yeah, but they miswrote the sign. Yeah. Anyways, let's talk about eschatology. <laughs> let's. Yes, let's talk about the end of days and Mashiach mindset. So, what, so the goal here is we're trying to figure out. Yeah, let's, let's 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 uh, set this up correctly. Okay. This is a part of an incredible new initiative from the uh, Tut Alts initiative from Mercus three hundred two, and I first became involved in this initiative last year. Um, Around Chofches uh, Nissan, there was an incredible 24-hour Fabrengen that was going on, and since then there has been uh, a lot of reawakening among just people in general. Anash Lubavitcher Sidim, who really hold dear the Rebbesichas, obviously, and are coming to a point where it's not just enough to. Um, to revere these ideas, but we really want to apply it in, a, in the most practical sense. And that's what Tut Alts, taken the, the name obviously taken from the Rebbe's uh, call, Tut Alts Vas Irkent, to bring in Mashiach and, and do everything that you can do to bring Mashiach. And uh, so there's this new initiative to learn. Uh, I believe this week is the first week. I think they, they, they started off with us. Actually, they started off the two sisters for bring before us. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, so we're the, the I think brothers. this is the second, the second week. This is the second week or something like that. <laughs> okay. So anyways, but it's, it's, it's starting and it's all around the world. And this week we're going to talk about the Sikha from Parshas Vayeshev Tavshinun base, uh, primarily as a Sikha where the Rebbe gave us a real insight into what it means to have a Mashiach mindset. That's the real theme here. It's not enough to just look forward to Mashiach as something that will happen, and even to look forward to something that's going to happen imminently, and even to, to say it's something that we're going to cause, we're going to bring 
uh, we're going to bring about, but actually even right now, before Mashiach comes, we want to already start to change our thinking to be a Mashiach mindset. And that's the theme that we're going to be discussing. And the learning that's going on all over the world among men, women, and children is this month, it is dedicated in honor and memory of an incredible man, incredible chassid, someone who I knew personally and admired, the uh, shliach in Los Angeles, Rav Chassid, Rav Shimon ben Menachem Shmuel David Halevi Reitchik, all of a shalom. And uh, may this initiative be uh, a merit for him, along with all of his countless merits as a shliach and a manig of a kihila and a chassid of the rabbi. Okay, so David, what's up with Mashiach mindset? No, you're uh, um, uh, throwing it back listening. on you. Yeah, I was just listening. I, I, I um, yeah. What what are we talking about? Mashiach mindset. It, it's uh, what is it? Because I, I, I was thinking about it last night. We were talking about it in our uh, by our Shabbos table, trying to figure out what that means. I, I it does I, I, I so there's specifically these sikhs that are going to show us I, particular ideas. But I think in in general, the, there are there ways. I assume there are ways to just do this on our own as well. I I mean, totals. Not just the whole point is that we have to do everything we can do on and on our own as well. You know what you remind me of, David? What? It's I mean, let me just repeat what you said maybe a little more explicitly. You're saying yeah. it's not enough just to do what the Rebbe told us to do. The Rebbe is saying, think of some of your own stuff, guys. Be a little bit creative. So and that's what you were saying, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was saying it meekly. I said it because but I people because it's some some it's strangely somewhat controversial. Strangely, you said strangely controversial. Yes. It is strangely controversial. You're correct. It is controversial, but it is strange that it is controversial because what should be strange about it? Um, so I'll tell you something interesting. You said you were talking with your family last night. I can't. I mean, I did talk to my family last night, but I'm not going to show off about the fact that I talked to my family. All right. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, what you call it? So now you, dis you distracted me, David. Last night I was reading. I was reading. You know what I was reading? Mad Magazine. <laughs> no, no, no. I just did the fold in and then All right. I put it away. No, I was reading a, a court deposition. Hmm. Yes. <clears throat> I'm going to law school. No, I was reading a court deposition from 1798. It was um, the Alter Rebbe's depositions that he gave over to the 22 questions that they in interrogated him on during his first imprisonment. Oh, cool. Yeah, it is cool. And I'll tell you something interesting, and it's very connected to what you just said, and we did not script this or plan this, but Hashem did. Um, it's very connected to what you just said, that is strangely controversial, that the devil wants us to think of our own stuff. It's also connected to the toichen of the sicha Vayeshev Nun Base, which we're going to discuss imminently. Okay. Imminently is a Mashiach word, by the way, so I used it. Oh, that's a good um, word. Yeah. Um, so is hasten. Yes, hasten. Uh, Those are all very words that are very uh, e easily accessible. People yes. immediately relate Recognizable to Recognizable by people who speak the vernacular. So anyways, I was reading the depositions of the Altarebbe last night. 
And one of the things they were charging him with, the Misnagdim had said about the Chassidim, is they're starting a new religion. Now, why would the Russian Gentile imperial government care? Why do they care if anyone's starting a new religion? So the reason is because uh, of the French Revolution. Because apparently, uh, very uh, active in the revolutionary movement in France were some new religious movements, like New Age. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to, if this is on YouTube, unfortunately, it's probably going to draw all the kooks and conspiracy nuts to this video. Because YouTube's going to know that I said this word, and then it's going to like actually put... Yeah, the robots are going to feed it to the people who it's most dangerous for. Right. So close comments, please. Uh, to Initiative, please close comments on this. But the Illuminati and like Freemasons. Okay, that all grew out of the French Revolution? No, it didn't grow out of the French Revolution, but they were very involved in the French ah, Revolution. Okay. And so the Russians didn't want to have a revolution that would throw over their king. And interesting, ironically enough, when they finally did have a, a revolution 120 years later, it was atheists <laughs> who, who killed the Romanovs. I was like in the Smirnov bottle when it says purveyors to the czar until 1917. Why did they stop giving the czar? <laughs> after 1970. What happened that the czar couldn't drink after 1917? Anyways, so <laughs> that was a little gallows humor. Except it wasn't gallows. It was Never thought of that. That's kind, that's kind of that's not nice of the Smirnov brothers to just drop the guy and like they couldn't give him <laughs> they couldn't purvey any any vodka to, to that guy even after he wasn't the czar anymore. Yeah, well, they lined up the Romanov family and they they killed them by firing squad. Oh, so then you couldn't do much purveying. Except except maybe Anastasia or the lady who claimed to be Anastasia, and you could all Google that later. Um, anyways. They, the Misnagdim said that the Hasidim were a new religion, like, like Scientology, you know, Lahabdil, right? So uh, they were saying, like, these guys are making up a new religion, a modern religion. And that would have been something that would make the Russians upset because they don't want any new religions because to them that's revolution. Mm -hmm. So one of the things the Misnagdim said is, well, you see, they do stuff that we never did. They do new stuff. Like when they daven, they're very... Uh, like they move around a lot. They gesticulate a lot. So that was one of the 22 questions the Alter Rebbe had to answer. So the Alter Rebbe says in writing, yes, it's true. When we pray, we get excited, we move around. And he says, but I can explain to you very clearly that it's not because of any new religion that's being created here. You know what the Alter Rebbe says? And I thought it was just so fascinating. Okay. He said, we're doing it because we get excited. It's like, it's organic. It's authentic. We get excited and we move around. If we were doing it because it's our religion, then everyone would make the same movements. <laughs> everyone would make the same moves, but we're not doing it because it's our religion. We're doing it because we actually have personally, each, each one of us is getting excited about the dominant. So we move around. If, we're, that if it was a religion, we would make the same movements. Is amazing. Congregation, please rise. So right? the only way for, so of course, Lubavitcher's Chabad, we're going to be weird. But but the, the way to show that, that that our weirdness is part of Judaism is for us all to be weird a little bit differently. That's correct. The way to show that it's authentic is that you're, everyone's being weird as an individual. 
That's wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. So you were saying something that's strangely controversial, which the Rebbe said, don't just, obviously, this is a yes and, because yes, everything that Rebbe said to us to do is ironclad, and we have to make sure to cling to that, because th those are the initiatives and the programs and the tools that we know have an impact. And in addition, the Rebbe is saying, figure out some stuff that I didn't tell you to do. And as you said, that's strangely controversial, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll normalize it. Hopefully. Well, I, what I was taught in yeshiva um, in Miami, my rabbi Label Shapiro, was that, uh, that every sikha is an opportunity to learn, that I was trying to teach you a specific way of learning so that you can do the same thing yourself and in different ways and apply it. So I, I hope we should try to do that. So specifically about Mashiach mindset. Brother, yesterday's thinking... Rambam is talking about uh, yesterday's Rambam is talking about the Menorah and saying which wicks and oils you can use in the Menorah and the Beis Hamikdash. He's not talking about Hanukkah because we're we're not in uh, Hanukkah. We're in the in the in the Tamidim Musafim. But anyways, he mentions there the the idea of the reason why the wicks and oils have to be of a certain caliber because the the flames have to light, they have to be self-sufficient. They can't be lights that go out. When you light, it has to burn strong and go, go uh, continue on its own. And this is, you know, the Rebbe used that marshal or used this as a marshal, as a, an analogy, countless times for education, that it's not enough that a person heard what the teacher said. The person has to become imbued with the methodology. I think that's what you're referring to what Rabbi Shapiro taught you, that mm -hmm. it's a derech halimut. You know, in, 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 the, in the, can I say this? Can I say something strangely, strangely controversial? Please do. Uh, okay. Like in brisk, let's say. Every brisker knows there's something called... I didn't know you were going to talk about brisk, though. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. But I, we already let you go, so go on. <laughs> But any self-respecting brisker knows that there's something, there's a certain derechalimut with the brisker of established, and that's what it means to be a brisker, is to not just to know the chidushim, but to be able to learn that way and make your own chidushim, to be mechadish chidushim. And um, I think sometimes with, with Lubavitchers, I can, with, no one's listening, just me and you, that sometimes we're, 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 we're satisfied just being able to say what the Rebbe said, and yet the Rebbe is teaching a derech halimut. You know, I, I'll give you a benign example because because it's, I think, a little less controversial. But Rashi Sichas. Mm -hmm. Okay, Rashi Sichas, the Rebbe was modeling a methodology how to learn Chumash Rashi. And the Rebbe would actually, it's not in the Mugadika Sichas because these parts are extracted, but the Hanachas have it, public record. The Rebbe would complain, how come I'm looking at the Ha'aris, I'm looking at the articles, the scholarly articles, and nobody wrote, the, how come I'm the only one who, who's, who's saying Rashi Sichas? I taught you the methodology, so right. You, right? Run with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so maybe people will start writing, writing Kedoshim about uh, Mashiach mindset. Well, that, that itself would be Mashiach mindset. In fact, yeah. I would argue any Kedosh that you write is part and parcel of a Mashiach mindset, even if the topic itself is not overtly Mashiach. Mm. But having eyes, like the Rebbe said, Uf Efen in the egg and opening your eyes. What does that mean? That means being able to perceive things. So when you notice something in Torah and you figure it out on your own, that, that to me is a Mashiach mindset. All right, wonderful. 
Okay. So, you know, we, we, we've spent, uh, well, I was going to talk to you about the, the, the Mashiach mindset that I thought of last night about lions, but I'm not going to, cause we talked about a bunch of other stuff already. No, go ahead. I would mind. like to hear about lions. Well, cause all right. I was thinking Mashiach mindset. What does that mean? How do we think the way we're going to think when Mashiach comes? And I was, so I was thinking, all right, first of all, imagine you're in a world where you go to the zoo and there's no bars between the cages from separating the animals from the other animals. Well, some people prefer that there should be no bars. There's no bars and no zoos? No, um, like a natural habitat. You a know, natural habitat. Imagine there's no like barriers. There's no, there's no, oh, no like, barriers at all. There's no, yeah, they like the, like the height barriers, whatever. Imagine, you know, but uh, so in, in, in the times of Mashiach, you'll go to the zoo and you don't have to separate the predators from the, the carnivores from the herbivores. That, I didn't think of that. Right. So just imagine how would that change your brain? How would that but change it, your brain? So next step is, oh, wait a second. There's not going to be bars between the spectators either. Because those, those predators, those apex predators, the lions and the tigers, they're not going to try to eat you. Wait, hold on a second. The first thing you were saying is you're not going to have to separate the wolf from the lamb. No. Yeah, right. You're not going to have I'm to separate saying wolf the... and lamb because that's the. Yeah, even though yeah. most zoos don't have lambs. But imagine this one. Well, does. lame zoos do. Okay. But they probably have, like, don't have a wolf. zoo section. But a real gazunta zoo. Yeah, you're right. It does. Okay. But you won't have to separate, let's say, the lion from the gazelle. Right, exactly. They're just going to chill together. Then you're saying, and you won't even have to separate the lion from the people. The lion, you'll be standing in line to get popcorn, which will be kosher, might I add, because Sheikh's here. And you'll look next to you, like, excuse me, sir. Oh, that's a lion. And the lion's just hanging out there. Next to you in line. Yeah. Now, and so I'm going to jump a few steps further, but imagine how your brain would work differently if you have had the experience of slipping your finger in between the toes of a lion's paw and understanding how the lion's paw works yeah which i that's something i would do if there was a lion hanging out next to me if there like i would a pull its paw. what a tame lion in the times of mashiach yeah, not a tamed lion not like it's been clickered and buzzed and electrocuted no no just... no no tame meaning in the messianic era yeah and, and, um, yeah mashiach like a lion that doesn't want doesn't want to eat me you would handle its paws and yeah see, like if you push on the pads do the do the claws come out yeah exactly okay because you always like to tinker with things and take them apart and figure out how things work yeah well because much I, like I, your character in mitzventions <laughs> not unlike my family this is also strangely controversial as well my family in the past in the past year got a dog and I won't I won't discuss whether or not the merits or, or, or lack thereof of that decision. But um, trust that our family had its, had its reasons. Um, so we ha- I found that just having that animal in, in our house and, and doing things like touching its paw and things like that gave me a sense of compassion that, that a heightened sense of compassion I didn't have before. And I imagine if I had ha- if, I, if I had had that closeness and intimacy with a lion, it would change the way I think. Yeah. And uh, all right, so yeah, so that would be like one of the ways I would get into a Mashiach mindset is think about all right. So that that, was that your makes whole me lion thing. What? That was your whole lion thing. Yeah, so is imagine the the different person you would be if you had had a meaningful close experience with if you could just have a meaningful close experience with a lion at any given moment. Your that your your experience with fear would be different. 
you know our whole we have so much in our wired in our brain just uh, to like to run from things and to fight or flight well how would that change if our if we didn't have predators to to flee oh, from i think i you're saying this as a marshal am i i'm not sure do you Is want it, me to be yeah Okay. Because the lion thing's not resonating for me. It's not resonating with you. Okay. I don't know. I don't have fear. I don't have a phobia about lions. Your heart rate would go up if you were near a lion. I never had that experience. Have you had the experience of being near an animal who made your heart rate go up? Even a, a scary dog. Yeah, with a squirrel. <laughs> a squirrel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's birds. I'm terrified of birds. Terrified of birds. Yeah. yeah, but imagine if your heart rate didn't go up when you saw those birds. I mean, do you th that just in that very tiny? I, I'm you're saying it doesn't resonate with you because it's an experience that's not a, a, a huge part of your life. But right, I'm but afraid of I, other things. But but I think I'm not I'm I'm not saying it as a muscle because I think even those tiny little tweaks to the way your brain works would change right. the type of person you are. And I think if you add them all up. Because we think about like the grand, amazing things, uh, and all of that. Yeah. And like, but there's a million tiny little things that are what life would, would be a little bit different um, that would change the way our brains work. So what you're saying, basically, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that one of the things that will happen when Mashiach comes, although we probably don't think about it very often, is that with the elimination of all threat, not just the lion and the wolf becoming tame animals, which the Rambam says anyways is a metaphor. And there are different opinions, but whether you take it literally or you take it, or especially if you take it metaphorically, and it means that there will be no hostile uh, entities, no terrorists, no, uh, no, no, no violent people or uh, criminals or criminal states. If there will be peace in the world and prosperity and safety, so then you're, you're saying we should consider the fact that in Mashiach's times, Poshet, the nervous system of a human being will be a lot more at rest. Mm -hmm. Am I following you? Yeah, and I think it'll allow okay. us to make decisions differently. Okay, so Baba, hold on a second. And it'll, and it'll help us make decisions better, or you're saying differently. I would even say better because we won't be distressed. So we'll be able to think more cerebrally rather than fight or flight panic mode, okay? And then let me just make sure I'm following where you're going. Are you saying that one of the aspects of living with a Mashiach mindset as we prepare for Gula is to already try to transcend our fears and live with a greater sense of safety? Yeah, I guess make decisions as as if you like any part of your decision making that's influenced by the fear of of something getting you or hurting you or anything. Just take that out of the equation. Somebody, by the way, I can see in the Zoom put a lion puppet on screen. And you want to know something? My initial reaction was very like that's beautiful. I wasn't threatened by it. Oh, you, I, did, I, you did very good. So you're already living. I'm Mishir, already living. Mishir. Mishir. I saw the lion. I was like, oh, the lions come to join us. That's so nice. You know, I, I'll tell you something. I don't know if this is where you were going with this, but um, 
Thursday night, Wednesday night, I think it was Wednesday night. So I was in Muncie, it was a Fabrengen um, with, uh, with Rabbi Jacobson. And the title that we called it was, we're not bad people trying to become good, we're, we're broken people trying to become whole. And it was based on the premise, we spoke about it for seven hours. So if it doesn't make sense now, you can go, go to his website and watch the seven hour replay. But anyway, one of the things that we were saying is, you know, the Alter Rebbe, Yotas Kissel, we're talking about Tanya. So the Alter Rebbe doesn't talk about Yitzhahara so much. He talks about more Nefshabamis. And what's a Nefshabamis? So I was explaining that Nefshabamis has a job. Its job is survival. Nefshabamis has a job. It, it, he's not bad. He's doing his job. His job is to keep you alive. His job is self-perpetuation. Now, Nefshalakis has the opposite job. He doesn't want to preserve self. He actually wants to become bottled to Alakus. He wants to, the selfhood to disappear and melt away and become one with, the, with, with, with Hashem. But the Nefshabamis' job is self-preservation. He reminds you to eat and he reminds you to, 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 to sleep and take a shower. He has a, he has a purpose that he fulfills. Um, but what happens is that, that this survival impulse, this God-given survival impulse gets warped and it starts to make us do things as if they were life and death that aren't even good for us mm. because of things generally that we learn during childhood where, you know, we, we, we adapt to the dysfunction around us and we figure out how to survive, uh, how to feel safe as children. And then we find a tool that works for us as children. And then the animal soul just memorizes that and says, whenever such and such happens, whenever I get quote unquote triggered, that's my go-to response. And if I don't do it, I'll die because an Ephraim is very black and white. Everything is life or death. It's all life or death. It's like, Everything is, a, is, is an existential threat, right? So when you're talking about this, one of the things I'm thinking about is, you know, when today when, you know, two people are fighting, let's say. Are they really fighting because there's such a shayim, like Dawson and Aviram fighting in, 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 uh, in Mitzrayim? They're, they're such evil people that just, I, I'm, I'm so evil that the, 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 the only thing I can think of to do with my time is to go pick a fight with somebody just because, you know, I'll, have, I'll just have such diabolical glee from taunting somebody. When people are fighting, no, nobody's like that. When people are fighting, you know why they're fighting? Because they feel threatened, because they're scared. Right. When one, can I say this? This is controversial. When one religious person who's governed by a religious code of ethics goes and hurts another religious person who's governed by a religious code of ethics and he retaliates and hurts them back and then they start volleying back and forth tell me that the whole thing isn't predicated upon insecurity mm -hmm. nobody's trying to be evil they just feel threatened so one of the things you're telling me a mashiach mindset is that they're not trying to kill you right or at least try to Okay, Mashiach's not here yet, so there are maybe people who do try to kill people. But when your wife says, did you take out the garbage? She's not, she's not going to stab you with a knife. She's not going to kill you. And when, when some guy tells you, oh, I didn't buy the, the shipment from you. Uh, I bought it from your competitor. Okay, so it bothers you, but doesn't the Abish to run the world? <laughs> Isn't it true that in Odom Negea, but Parnasasa no one's killing you. No one's murdering you. Or when somebody, you walk into shul and they don't say hi to you. Oh, what an affront. Don't they know who I am? Nobody's killing you. Well, you know, 
I would I would go a step further and say that right now, sometimes people are eating you a little bit. You know, that guy, maybe he is not saying hello to you and she'll to dafka to to snub you but you know so maybe maybe the the lions are still eating us now. nibbling 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 they're nibbling they're but not chomping you, anymore but, but even nibbling. even nibbling. even when that's the case it's still better there is a value in making a mashiach based decision and thinking in a mashiach way and and making the decision that is not based on the on how that person is damaging me or how they could but just on what is right and even though i i might get a little bit hurt no but i like process. that i like that basically you're saying you're saying even if somebody is somewhat a threat I can still make decisions based on Torah. Yes. It ultimately would be more positive for myself and for the world and for everybody else. Right. So I when might get I get a little bit dinged up in the process. Right. So when I go to that Rav with that Chayshin Mishpat Shaila and he tells me to do something that I don't want to do because it's not good for my bottom line. Right. I can relax and just do what the Rav told me to do and not be scared. Right. That's an example from your real real life, because that's such a prevalent part of your life is your business, Shilas. Well, you're mocking me now because you're <laughs> saying, you know, that I haven't asked the Haitian Mishpat Shaila in years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I did have a question about whether my verbal promise to tip the garbage man was binding, but <laughs> I hear things. Right. Not all my examples are my personal firsthand examples. Not right. Right. But I can give you, if you want personal, should I be vulnerable? Maybe. It's very. Be vulnerable it, the way you would have would be if you had had an experience where you held the lion's paw. Where I metaphorically, just so when I was held the lion's paw, I held the lion's paw. You know, you know what, you know, um, YouTube, they took away the downvotes. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, a few days ago, they took away the downvotes. So uh, a couple weeks ago, oh, you were on my live stream. Remember my live stream I did? I will. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I did see that. Well, you were on it. I was for a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So Chaim Cohn, who was my co-host, he's my neighbor and my co-host, um, he was over at my house preparing for the live stream. And I was going through my YouTube channel. I think I was getting the, the live stream ready or something. And I looked at this video I did and it had like however many upvotes. And there was one downvote. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, who gave me a downvote? <laughs> who was the guy who gave me a downvote? The other guy having a live stream that night. <laughs> so, uh, and if I find out who he is, I'm going to give him a down vote. But now you can't give him any more down vote. Um, yeah. But anyways, you want you want a personal example. Yeah. Like, yeah. So someone gives you a video on YouTube, a down vote. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So you're saying that like, like you could, you're making a decision, what next, you know, and, and it can get influenced in, in counterproductive ways. If you're, if you're coming from a place of oh, fear. Oh yeah. For coming from a gullus mindset, it's like, I got a downvote on my video. I should rethink my entire life. <laughs> right. What a fraud I am. It's like, 
should go go wandering for three years as a beggar incognito till I sort my life out. People are think, thinking I'm exaggerating right now, by the way. <laughs> so stop with the downvotes. You think it's harmless. Oh, the sound was a little bit crackly in that. Oh, well, yeah, you yeah, made I, me think my entire life. Easy people have no idea how much you could spin out from a, from a, a bad internet comment. It's like the people on Amazon who comment and they're like, they give it one star and then you read it. It's like this, this, uh, the, the box was ripped. Like, so downvote your mail carrier. Why are you? <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. So should we get on to the Sikha? Because I think we're. Parshas Vyeshev Toshinun Base. All right. Thanks. I'm having so much fun with you, David. I know. I always have fun talking to you. It's always fun. I hope other people are having fun. <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know um, because they can't downvote us anymore. Yeah, and we and we're not going to unmute them and let them tell us. No. All right. So tell tell me about the tell me about the sicko. How, how are we going to do this? Are we going to we're not going to go through the entire thing? No. What's the question? I think we should. So I think we should mention some pertinent points. Okay. So I'll do a little segue. Remember when we were talking maybe fifteen minutes ago, twenty minutes ago? I told you about that interesting thing I read in the Altadev's deposition. And yeah, and you mentioned the French Revolution. Yeah, because the Russians were afraid of a revolution. It happened to them anyways, 120 years later, but they were uh, but there was a revolution in France. And uh, yeah, so let's talk about the trend of revolutions. Okay. Where um, the establishment of, of the monarchy, which is an ancient institution, was overthrown and replaced with democratic values and all of the cultural values that actually come along with that, all the progressivism and liberalism that the other Talmudi Hamagid, frankly, were welcoming. They saw it as an opportunity that if Napoleon should be able to defeat Russia and put the entire Europe under his his rulership, they looked forward. The other Talmidi HaMagid, the other disciples of the Mezirich HaMagid, they looked forward to the rights and the opportunities, economic opportunities and social opportunities that would be available to Jews and would make life easier. And you can definitely hear the logic in that argument. I mean, after all, when Mashiach comes, the Rambam says the benefit of having complete safety and prosperity will be that we'll be free to involve ourselves exclusively in in spiritual pursuits. So you can understand why the other disciples of the Magid would say, if Napoleon's going to make life a little easier, if I can own some land and I can uh, not be dependent on the Puritz and I have some protection under the law and not, I'm no longer a second-class or third-class citizen, you could understand why um, the other disciples of the Magid thought that was a good thing. Now, the Altarebbe, the Altarebbe was very vocal, and not only vocal, but was very active in his opposition of Napoleon and backing the Tsar, Tsar Paul. 
And um, the Alter Rebbe said his reasons very clear that although it would be good for the Jews materially, it would be devastating spiritually. And what happened? I well, see, I've, I've always had yeah. trouble with this, is, if, I, if I may, may be honest and vulnerable, is because yes. it's always been much more compelling to me, especially somebody who, for whom the well-being of all Jews is in their, is their job and their entire essence mm-hmm. in life. It's hard. I, I, it's really hard for me to relate to that decision. This to to like the the argument that the well the physical well being of the Jews would be better off. It's hard for me to to see it any other way. Yeah, and and certainly it's not a position that the Alter Rebbe um, came to in any. You know, I, uh, the the argument that you're making, I'm sure the Alter Rebbe did not take lightly. Certainly, I mean, no. For, for the exact reason I'm, that I'm making the argument is the reason why I know it, it, it was right as well. Is like the whole right. reason why why it bothers me is because like, hey, this is the single person in the world who is responsible for the safety and well being of every single Jew in the world. So that that's why it bothers me. But obviously, that's also the reason why I know. Okay, then then he came. He obviously dealt grappled with this and came to the right decision. Yeah, and that's that was the right decision for the time. As, as attractive as it might have been to welcome the changes, the social reform that Napoleon would have brought. And yet, so should we continue here? Yeah. Okay, and yet the Rebbe says that there's been a change. So the Alta Rebbe's position was right for the time. But there's been a change. And now we can actually work with the successors of Napoleon. And the Rebbe spoke specifically about France. There was a contingent from France present at the Fabrengen. And the Rebbe spoke specifically about France, about how France has become a center, a world leader in producing Torah scholarship and vibrant communities. And that's a change because historically France was considered to be so uh, such an antithetical culture. Um, the, 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 the values of uh, fraternity, liberty, equality um, were not, they were not, uh, theistic they were not uh, they were they were not f- faith based they were very secular humanistic values which were antithetical to the foundations of faith and they led to philosophies which embrace immorality and licentiousness and promiscuity and france for that reason was exactly the opposite of fertile ground for Hasidus. And for that reason, historically speaking, there was not a big movement to cultivate Chassidus in France. But then something happened incrementally where, so first the Rebbe Maharash, the great grandson of the Alta Rebbe, visited France. Right. So in, this is now, you're explaining how it happened? Well, I'm explaining that it was on a continuum, that the change was gradual. 
Yeah. It went. It didn't go from something to from nothing to something overnight. At we first, also kind of you're also pulling back the curtain a little bit and explaining explaining how it happened though. Yeah, I am. In the in the structure of the sicha, maybe I mean I, this the is your whole, presents it with more suspense. Okay, your you're, whole job is is to is to structure things in your own way and present the, the, all of the ideas of the sicha. In so can I tell you honestly, David? What if they hired me to give a class on this sicha? I would have held this this reveal to the end yeah and i would have been like this is how it happened wow but since we're going to talk about it i just wanted to reveal oh, oh so you're, you're 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 giving it all out i'm giving i'm putting it all out on the table right. and then we're gonna we're gonna pull it apart a little bit all right yeah, yeah. so i killed the suspense already i said there was this incremental change of the that Abayam getting more and more involved yeah. with france and there was a change that france became more and more um workable shall we say. Um, so uh, the Rebbe Marash made his famous visit to France, a story which is, for us, probably most well-known as one of the stories in the Rebbe's first mimer in Basilagani, the famous story of visiting the casino in order to find the Jew, the wayward Jew, and bring him back. And then uh, the Rebbe Rashab visited France, I think for the, uh, the medical um, the uh, spas that they had, and uh, the Friedrich Rebbe visited. They mentioned, by the way, in there that part of Iron Base was written in France, which seems to be an important point that it wasn't that there was more to the visits. Right, the part of Iron Base is written there, and the Friedrich Rebbe said Chassidus in France, and then of course the Rebbe and the Rebbetzin spent many years in France in multiple cities in France, laying the groundwork, as it were for the revolution that would happen during the Rebbe's Nasius. So to sum it up, basically you see that in, 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 in the course of 200 years, a place which was antithetical and totally inconducive to Chassidus became a center for Chassidus. And this change is indicative of a general development in the world where, and you can correct me on my interpretation here, but a general change in the world where entities, ideas, values that had once been an impediment that would not allow Chassidus to enter have now become tools. Not just that we can get around them, they're no longer impediments because we can sidestep them, but actually they're no longer impediments because we can pick them up and use them at our will. They don't oppose us, we use them. We use them as tools for... I'll, uh, for I'll jump in here. What I think is important, just, just to, to go back to the structure of the Sikha a little bit, is bef before the all the France stuff, the Rebbe is, is talking to, to me. I, to, to me, this is like the two creation the, the two creation myths as academics always talk about it. Like the two the two creation stories, right? Is you, but you, right. you get one. I always one, get one bothered by the fact that creation's twice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They says uh, they get really really upset about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's 
there's the the general overview and then this very specific version where you get to lo- know a lot more about the 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 details of how the story went, went down and i feel like that too with here where the the first part of the sicha is all about how just the 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 diaspora in general how the jews started off in one place and throughout the throughout all the entire gullis we've been going all the way around the world and our job in is to uh not just be the same in every place, but that Judaism is going to add to itself and gain and be different and reveal parts of itself that it couldn't before by <coughs> having Jews in different places that that have to conduct themselves according to the Minog Medina, and uh, and and they have that by by having to act differently because of cultural differences, climate differences, anything right. is going to bring out new things in, in Torah and Judaism and, and whatnot and, and change the world, right? But then we get this specific story. So that all sounds very nice, but what we, do, we don't have any conflict in that story. And then we get another story where there's conflict. Well, what happens when there's a place where the, the minog of, the, of that place or the, the culture and philosophy of that place is in direct conflict with Torah and it kill you, you if I could use a French word. It was what? What's a French word? If I could use... Milieu. It's a no. French word. Yeah. The big the overall context. Yes. The the yes. Yeah. So what do you do when you when 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 it's not gonna work? When there is a when there is a conflict and how do how does so how when do... Jews were in Hungary and Gullis in Hungary for however many centuries, we got a lot of good food out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you want a good Jewish caterer, you can find a Hungarian, right? But what's France good for? France is all types of Western democratic liberalism and, and, and philosophy and can't use it. Yeah, so you can go on. It's just to me, this is, so this yeah. now is the story of how do we get, how did we get past that and what do we do now? Yeah. So please explain. Well, that was then, this is now. There were things that couldn't be used in the past. But we'll put it this way. When we come, when Mashiach comes, we're going to use everything. And anything that's not usable won't exist. Because So if it can't be used, there's not going to be Shalosh Klippas of Tameis. Can I retranslate some Hasidic terms right now? Please. Shalish clips is to me a step, me in plain English, I would call it useless. You call it useless? Yeah. Uselessness? Not uselessness, useless. Shalish clips to me means something that is useless. Okay. So Hashem does you a kindness and says, hey, guy, don't bother with that because it's useless. Makes it also, right? Is it tied down because it's forbidden or is it forbidden because it's tied down? So a lot of people think it's tied down because it's forbidden, like the cheap hotel bolts the lamp to the desk because they're afraid you're going to steal it. Right. Right. No, it's fakert. It's useless. So Hashem says, Tayek, don't waste your time with it. You know, you're not going to be able to make anything productive out of that. Right. So Avia Vaisatoma is is a, a dead person. It's a person who can't can't be a person anymore. Right, because Tuma is the same thing. Tuma and Klippa, something that can't have a function anymore, something that's useless, that has no use anymore. That's right. So uh, there were times when certain things were, for practical purposes, useless. But they 
are not inherently useless. And the greatest proof of that is at some point they become useful. And the term for that would be klipas noiga. Something that's inherently useless, meaning it is essentially useless, always has been, always will be, that's shalosh klipas atameas, it's irredeemable. And it won't be part of redemption. And that's why Hashem right. get rid of it. But something that is useless under a certain milieu, but can become useful when situations change, that's klipas noiga. So as we learn in Tanya, the mechanics of redemption is the elevation of all klipas noiga. So klipas noiga isn't just you know, a bite of food that you use the calories from and you're able to daven and learn. Klipas noiga also could be a culture, an ideology, um, society. I think this is this is relevant here to what you're saying about Klippus Naga. You know, I don't usually like gematrias. They're not exciting to me. I, if there are people for whom... Gematria you're bad at math. Are, are, what? You're bad at math. I'm not bad. All right. All right. You, if you just want to say I'm bad at math. Um, I thought the joke about Jono being bad at math was your own working that through. Um, no. Jono, the joke about Jono being bad at math was me being bad at all the other things that I am bad at. Um, like it was reading a metaphor. Stuff. It's more about reading, um, but, it, but it just got translated into math for him. What was the joke about him being bad at math? <laughs> I forget. He exaggerated something like a bazillion. It just said like, like uh, do you make jokes about, do you exaggerate numbers because you think it's funny or because you, to cover up the fact that you don't understand the actual numbers or something like that? It's a little bit of both. Um, or I think I think the second thing is is a way to mask the first. All oh, right, I think the second thing is a way to mask the first thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, David, you're a card. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I don't like matches because I'm bad at math. Uh. But uh. But this one I like. Well, th- this was one was interesting to me. Sarfas <coughs> is Gamatra seven seventy. Yes, it is. And Which... by the way, I just want to mention something. The Abbot doesn't often do gamatra. No. I'll, right. but I'll, in fact, the Rebbe makes a joke about Gematrias. You know the famous... The, what's the Rebbe's joke about Gematrias? The uh, Lechayim and the, and, the, and, the, and the Lekach. So the Lechayim is Gematria Lekach. So but if you eat the, but the Lekach is a higher Gematria, so then you have to eat, say more Lechayim, and the, but then the, it, right. then the number's too high, so you eat some more Lekach until you said so much Lechayim, you can't count it anymore, then you're okay. Something like that. So yeah, it's definitely not like something that Rebbe does often. It's very, when, and when the Rebbe brings a gematria, it is extremely noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. So it pops up here. Um, it's also noticeable because of all, all of a sudden you've got numbers in the, in the, in the middle of all of the Hebrew letters. Um, but by uh, the way, yeah, those are Arabic numerals. Yes. So that's another culture that we are incorporating. I, I would love to go into a yeshiva somewhere and be like, I caught this kid. There's a book that has Arabic in it. What should we do? Yeah. <laughs> um, so what was interesting about it to me... What was better, Roman numerals? They destroyed the second base of Migdash. 
there are also Roman numerals in most books. In the uh, that's uh, right. In the first pages, before you get to the real actual book, there's Roman numerals. That's yeah. Right. So even just just in a, just in the on the corners of the pages alone, we are already just purifying so many different cultures. That's right. All right. Romans, Arabs. Um, Give me some more numbers, Doug. Well, I don't. I, what are there? Are there other numerical systems that we use? I don't know, but if there are any, let's use them out. What's in the appendix? Also Roman numerals, I think. Not sure. All right. Um, yeah. So the reason why the Sarfas 770 Gamatra was interesting to me is because I was reading it. I was like, oh, can we, oh no, a, but you know what, David? What? I thought of something. More numbers? Yeah. The Arabs took the zero from the Hindus. Oh, oh my goodness. And you want to know something? It's cultural appropriation, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> okay. In fact, could we say that the whole Tsarfas Sicha is about the greatness and the necessity of Jewish cultural appropriation? <laughs> Maybe. I think that's just like shocking for the sake of shocking. It's like, well, I'm putting out a video on YouTube right now with that very title, and I'm going to leave the comment section. All right. <laughs> Well, nobody can give you a thumbs down anymore. So that's right. <laughs> um, all right. Can I say the Gematria thing already? No, you didn't. I, I didn't let you. No, I said, can I? Yeah, you didn't let oh, me. Can you say already? Go all ahead. Right. The reason why it's interesting to me, and this is back to your Clippers Nagus stuff, is that because the Reb is talking all about how now now that we can we can actually use all of this this French stuff, and you're going to explain that in a moment, and the French cultural philosoph philosophical ideas and stuff, and and now the, we, we you can see even to the point where Sarfas is Gematria seven seventy. But I, but I, and I thought about it for like five seconds, and I thought, wait, Sarfas has always been Gematria seven seventy. <laughs> I mean, even in the Alta Rebbe's time. Yeah. It was Even always biblical times. It was always Gematria 770. You know what changed was not France. What changed was the Friedrich Rebbe moved to 770. Mm. Wow. That's the only thing that changed. Wow. He just wasn't living in that house yet. Right. And all that that represents. Yes. And like we know from the Rebbe that coming to New York represented a revolution of and Judaism, the center of Judaism, becoming from the bottom, and the Rebbe's whole marshal with the, the lever, lifting up the entire building from the bottom. Right, right. Yeah, so the, the changes is, is, in, is in us and in our, in our ability, our changing circumstances and our ability to be able to use different things that we couldn't use before. So it's not that the load got lighter, but that we we're able to come at it from a new angle where we could live. Yep, 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 yep. That's great. It's great stuff. All right, go on. Explain Explain more stuff. About what? About a lion's paw? <laughs> no. All right, so so uh, is, is there more? Did you just you explain the whole, that's, the, that's everything you wanted to say about that situation? Oh, I've got a lot more to say. All right, so go, keep on going. Should I? Oh, are we done? It's 8.58. No, don't look at the clock. Those are Arabic numerals. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what my greatest dread is? I don't. But I, if you're going to reveal it on this podcast, uh, this, this, this live stream, that's... Well, that's you already good. taught me to be vulnerable, so... Okay. Go on. 
alliance part, because I feel like I can change my mentality about this to be a Mashiach mindset. And I'm not okay. joking, by the way, even though this is kind of funny. I don't like face clocks. Yeah. You know, they're called analog clocks. Yeah, they weren't. But I mean, were they called analog clocks? No, when I was, I was a kid, they were called face clocks. They were just clocks. called clocks. They were called clocks. And, um, but I am a digital kid. Am I a millennial? No. Are you a millennial? Yes, barely. Are you Gen Z? I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I'm barely millennial. What am I? Uh, no, but I'm barely a millennial the other way. I'm almost, almost, you're an Xer. Are you a global team? I'm not. A, I don't even know if that's stuck. I think I'm Generation X. You are. I grew up in the 70s. Yeah. All right. So, so what were you going to say? Your biggest regret is, is clocks? No, not my biggest regret. I thought that's what you said. My biggest fear. Oh, your biggest fear. I thought you said regret. All right. Your biggest oh. fear is clocks. Um, analog clocks. Is your greatest fear. Yeah. Because I'll be like in an airport, let's say, and I got to get somewhere quickly and I got to figure out where I'm going. And I'll be like, oh, what time it is. And so I'm going to like go, there, there's a clock. And I won't be able to say <laughs> the amount of time and Yeshiva Das that it's going to take me to read that clock <laughs> will I make know, me late for whatever it is that I'm trying not to be late for. Right. Now. I, I, you know, I share that with you. I, I can read a clock, but it just it takes me a long time. But have you been in situations where people refuse to tell, read it for you? Or old people will be like, Oh, about a, a half past nine. No, no, they don't say half past nine. They say, oh, about a quarter past. Right. They just, oh, no. So past they one. describe the clock to you. You don't have to actually figure quarter, it out. Quarter, quarter of what past? A quarter past. Say, oh, you were, well, you better be there on time. We're going to all be there at a quarter past. <laughs> quarter past what? It's like if you have a hard time reading an actual clock, you think you'd have an easier time with somebody just describing the clock to you? Right. All right. Oh, there was a cool video about about this whole thing that we were supposed to pause for at some point, wasn't there? Yeah, there is a video about this. All right. I'm going to pause. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so I think that somebody's going to play it. Is that possible, or did they leave? They probably left. They went to go make a sandwich while we talked about lion paws. Oh, here it is. on Washington for jobs and freedom, one of the most historic days in the nation's history. Live out the true meaning of its creed, that all men are created equal. And where no man is denied public office, merely because his religion differs from the... The flower people, the hippies call themselves, as opposed to the square or straight society.
broadcast power. I liked it. I liked it too. Two thumbs up. Well, I, I don't have the other option anymore. Of what? You got it. That was the reference to the no thumbs down thing. That you oh, <laughs> no, but I actually do like it. I do like it. And the slogan is wield the culture, which I like. Wield the culture. Wield yeah. the culture. So, what's the takeaway? How do we wield? How do we build the culture? Well, obviously, we're not just speaking about France because we're not French. Okay. Parlez-vous français? No. Me neither. I answered in French, by the way. That's true. And sometimes that misleads people, I found. Is that you? Somebody's playing music. Does that mean we're done? They're playing us off. Outro music. So, you know, it's interesting that that I, I really do like that video, by the way. Um, a lot of the, the sights and the sounds there. Were... You know what my favorite part of the video was? What? You can guess. No, I really don't. I don't know. When they talked about squares. <laughs> I also liked when they spoke about the squares. I didn't know you caught that because it's like quiet. It was like under undertone. I loved it. Yeah, the square or straight society. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So can I tell you the greatest video on YouTube? Is it okay? I mean, I, I guess. Okay. <laughs> the greatest video on YouTube. Is it cats running from cucumbers? No, no, no. Cats being shocked by cucumbers. When Mashiach comes, will cats jump from cucumbers? Cats and cucumbers will sit side by side. It will coexist peacefully. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite video on YouTube is Abby Hoffman talking about making gefilte fish for Dr. Benjamin Spock. And Spock being so Gentile, he didn't know what it was and throwing it off the side of his houseboat. <laughs> All right. And there's something so Jewish. If people don't know who Abby Hoffman was, he was a radical leftist political leader, rabble rouser. Um, and uh, and it was, he was just so Jewish. He was so Jewish. And that video of him talking about he made gefilte. She talks about how he spent like all day because he made it from scratch. He ground the fish. And he made gefilte fish and then he bought it. Dr. Spock was the, the book guy who wrote the children's book, like how to raise children. Basically, doc, not Mr. Spock. Not, no, no, not the Vulcan. Well, Mr. Spock was played by Leonard Nimoy, who's, who was also Jewish. Jewish. 
who right? was Jewish. Who right. was Jewish. Dr. Benjamin was not Jewish. not Jewish. And Abby Hoffman is saying the guy who's so, he, Abby Hoffman says he's like so Jewish. He's like, Spock why so was funny. Abby Hoffman hanging out with Dr. Spock on a house? Because Abby Hoffman was like a known guy. He was like, people knew him so he used to hang out with celebrities and he's hanging out with dr benjamin spock who wrote the parenting book now his parenting theory was basically children like, like little animals basically and uh you know very not a very godly perspective very humanistic perspective with no soul to it whatsoever and that but that was the basis for parenting anyways so abby hoffman is like i made gefilte fish for spock and he's got this thick new york accent and and he's like, uh, and, he, and Spock didn't know what to do with the filter fish. And he threw it off the side of his houseboat. <laughs> Anyways, I'm thinking to myself, you know, that story about the Bacher, the Litvish Bacher, who went to the Rebbe. And he want, wanted to know about a beard. And it's on the My Encounter, actually. Jem uh, has it on My Encounter. And uh, so um, he was saying that, like, the beard became like... Uh, you know, not a thing, like by the Litzvah Shabachram, like you're not supposed to do it, yeah. right? And that it was like associated with the counterculture. Right. Counterculture. With the you hippies? Know, like the beatniks. I don't know, the hippies, the beatniks, whatever. And, and the Rebbe started speaking to him about hippies. And he was like, well, you know, the hippies are very Jewish. And I mean, it's a Yechidah, so nobody knows exactly what the Rebbe said. But the way that the, he... he, he Recalls, he's saying that Ebba says to him, if you ask your average non-Jew in middle America, tell me about the hippies, they would say, oh, it's one of those Jewish diseases coming out of New York. Meaning for some Midwestern non-Jew, typical American, they're going to see hippies, I'm talking about back in the 1960s, as almost synonymous with Judaism. And yeah, and and and, and but when I, when at the, at a time when most mainstream Jewish authorities would completely distance themselves from hippies, mainstream Orthodox Jewish authorities, and I'm not going to say where I saw this, but I was looking at a particular rabbi's very well-known sermons from the 1960s, and every sermon is railing against against hippies. Every summer is like these hippies, these, they, they, these scum, they're undercutting all values, they're absolute, you know, it's very harsh language. And talking about you have to vote for McGovern, you have to vote for Nixon so he'll stop McGovern. Because whoever could stop McGovern with his liberalism, you have to vote for Nixon. Whoever's the most conservative, this is in the 60s. He's saying whoever's the most conservative candidate, you have to vote for them to stop the hippies. And I'm thinking to myself, not just this story in Yechidus with the Rebbe saying about, and, and let me continue though, what the Rebbe said about the hippies. The Rebbe didn't just say that the non-Jewish world looks at the hippies as Jewish, but then the Rebbe even said, yeah, they're very Jewish. He says, look, the, 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 they talks about the Milas of the Eden in Mitzrayim, what the Medrash says, right? They don't change their language, their names, their culture, I mean, their, their, uh, their dress. So he's like, look, the hippies, they have a unique way of dressing. Oh, they, have, wow. they have Jewish names. Yeah, the devil said they have Jewish names like Abby Hoffman. That's why I got the, the Abby Hoffman gefilte fish, right? And yeah. And, Wait, and, did uh, the Rebbe, according to this person specifically mentioned Abby Hoffman's name? Oh, yes, according to this, yeah. And, and, and the point of it was that, that like what, other people would be changing their names to less Jewish names but the hippies don't care? Yeah, the, the, or, the, or that when, the, when people say that the hippies are a Jewish movement, 
But the Rebbe actually also mentioned, according to this account at least, that in the 30s, if you ask somebody who's a communist, they would say the same, oh, it's one of those Jewish diseases coming out of New York. Right. A liberal Jew, right? A communist is a liberal Jew, right? But the Rebbe says, he, the Rebbe like embraces it. And it's like, yeah, but that's true. And they, they're, they're openly Jewish. They're recognizably Jewish. Uh, obviously, they're not from. Okay? They're not from. We know that, obviously. And no one's telling you to learn halacha from Abby Hoffman. But, <laughs> but as far as... How to make as, a filthavish from them, apparently. But how to make a filthavish, yeah. Um, but there's something so Jewish about, it, you know, about many of these counterculture figures and 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 the point is uh, the thing that's jumping out i haven't hadn't heard that before but that's amazing and the thing that's jumping out to me is just like how in unbelievably insane that would have sounded to any responsible orthodox jewish adult at that time absolutely absolutely you know what it would be as insane as in 2021 say it and and shock us all if someone, would, if a campus shliach would go into the Rebbe today and say, I have a kid on my campus, he's the head of BLM on campus, and uh, anti-Zionist, and uh, pro-LGBQT, uh, and the Rebbe would say, you got to get that kid at your Shabbos table, make him president of the <laughs> Student Association. Right. I think I, I jumped too quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I was on your wavelength, but you may have to fill in the gaps. I think I meant to get there in an hour from now. <laughs> no, I've been thinking about this for years. And yeah. I've been thinking about this Sikhov, a Yeshev Nun base. And I love the slogan, the Tutalt slogan of Wield the Culture, because you know, it, people don't realize how immoral France was as a culture. And they, I, I don't think they realize what it represented. And, and it wasn't just stom immorality, like uh, hollow, baseless, meaning, meaningless immorality. The deepest philosophical minds came from that milieu, again, to use the French word. And justified all types of absolute selfishness. And for the Rebbe to say that we could use the opportunities that those values open up for us, that was a radical statement. I mean, what was Napoleon? Our, Napoleon was an emperor, so the governmental system is one thing, but I'm talking about his social uh, what he represented as far as, as, as social change was Western liberal values. And I think it's interesting that today in 2021, if you would ask a Lubavitcher, I'm not talking about people who aren't steeped in the Rebbe Sichas, but if you would ask them what their reaction to Western liberal values are, they would probably tell you something more similar to what the rest of the mainstream Orthodox world said about the, the 60s, hippies. about the hippies. Yeah. 
And that surprises me. It surprises me because the Rebbe was able to make chassidim out of the hippies. The Rebbe was able to use out well, the I could argue that 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 the all of those hippies that became chassidim they were they were converted. From no, I would say the exact opposite. Gross hippiness. No, so if you're saying was, their gross crazy. hippiness was stripped from them and they became men, they became menschlich. Right, their hippiness was stripped from them, and that no. But here's the thing, and you see this by the way. Let's not talk about controversial things like hippies. You see about how the Rebbeim would use a. Let's talk about something that's going to bore the heck out of everybody. Okay. How the, how the Friedrich Rebbe figured out how to use Pelish Abacher. When, when Temchit Tamimin was in Varsha and Atvatsk, and all of a sudden, who are these Pelish? I mean, people don't realize today, but that the, the cultural rift between the Russasher and the Pelisher, and I mean, today it, it, it's all one big chol, but, um, you know, it was a huge cultural shift, a huge cultural shift. And you see that what the Friedrich was able to do with, with, with these Pelisher Bacharim. And then what you're the that you say today, the, 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 the famous family names that people are jealous of today would have been. They were. Useless yeah. names in the past. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, um, but what I'm telling you is, if the if Lubavitch hadn't picked up those 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 Pelisher in Advatsk, I can't imagine what kind of hasogas. I'm talking about the Gashmias, the the Shlichus world would have today. If it would be Russians, I mean, Russians know how to survive. <laughs> Russians know how to, you know, beat me over the head. I'm not stopping. You know, a tank, but to do things nice, classy, appealing, that's definitely, I mean, somebody, should, some academic out there should do a study on that, about the Polish cultural uh, influence on Chabad and how it was necessary in the growth of Schliches in the latter half of the 20th century. There, I wrote, I wrote half the paper for you. Some professor should go write this paper. <laughs> But um, and then the well, you wrote thing. you wrote the title, but to be fair, they uh, yeah that title would take writes itself though. But once you got the title, writes writes itself. But then the Rebbe did the same thing with the Americans. I'm not talking about hippies yet. Let, let's build up the hippies. The Rebbe told the, the Americans, yeah, the Americans, the Americans that everybody else looked at and said, "What are you going to do with these guys? There's nothing to work with." And the Rebbe was like, no, 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 hold on a second. You're right. They don't have the milas of the European boys, but they have their own milas. And the milas these American boys have are going to not only be workable, but in some ways become major features of the program of Schliches. Like the, the, the whole break kite, the whole, you know, the American mentality of everything we do with Pearson and it's big and it's signs and it's and, 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 and come in and, and, and take over the whole rent, the whole venue and put it in the paper. You know, that type of cowboy attitude the Americans brought to the world of yeah. that was the Rebbe saying, give me the American boys and I will do something with them that couldn't have been done with the European boys. And the same thing with the Israelis and with, <laughs> and with the Frenchies and the Brazilians. And every culture has its style. We all know that. And the Rebbe has a way of using each one of those styles 
in its maximum way, where when you look at it in hindsight, you're like, how could the Rebbe's army function without that addition? So yeah, the hippies. It's not that the Rebbe took guys who were hippies and made them ice hippie. Is that the Rebbe took their hippiness and made it part of conquering the world for Yiddishkeit and Torah. And you're talking about being afraid of lions. Going back to where you started with, yeah. you know, that, that, that our nervous system gets jolted when we see a lion. You, you, you shouldn't be afraid of the lion. Yeah. Also when I see a hippie. So you're, 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 you're trying to be funny and you are funny, David. Thank you. But I want to tell you something. Today, no one's afraid of hippies. That's, that's a joke. There's, you know, it's, that's an anachronism. Long hair, freaky people. Yeah, yeah, no long, long-haired, freaky people need not apply. Yeah, okay, uh, well, nothing to do with them. So, yeah, maybe 40, 50 years ago, people, oh, there's a bunch of hippies congregating, loitering out front. But today, it's it's not hippies that people are afraid of. I'm talking about I'm talking about our culture. I'm talking about Lubavitchers here. Yeah. It's not hippies they're afraid of, but I know who they're afraid of. How do I know they're afraid of? Because I get the WhatsApps forwarded to me about who to be afraid of. <laughs> right. We're being Thank God there. I'm not on Facebook. Because <laughs> all Facebook is, is a bunch of people telling you who to be afraid of. And that's why everyone's living in fear. Because the whole modus operandi of social media is... A robot was programmed for one, one thing, to figure out your most triggering fear, your lion's paw, as it were, yeah. and then pop that into the algorithm as much as possible, keep you glued to that machine. So if you're afraid that uh, the Illuminati are taking over the world, right? So I trust me, David, the guys who are afraid the Illuminati are taking over the world, their YouTube feed is full of videos about the Illuminati taking over the world. And Jews also. And Jews, well, of course. Um, so just notice what YouTube is feeding you. I think <laughs> that would be an interesting machine. Wait, so you think that's the Mashiach mindset is, is look at all the things that the, the YouTube suggested videos are trying to make you afraid of. Yes. And then figure out how to use those in your life. Yes. Exactly. That is what I'm saying. I'm saying when, when YouTube is trying to trigger you by throwing stuff at you that it knows, oh, <laughs> you're shaking your fist. Like oh. when, when, when the video title says so-and-so destroys so-and-so and you're like, oh, I hope he destroys him, right? <laughs> Stop a second. That's the thing that we have to use for our agenda. Yeah. Because the way it's presenting now as a tool for its agenda is a misappropriation. Gold was only created to be used to build the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So if something exists, we need to co-opt it, culturally appropriate it, and use it. Yeah. And use I'm, it I'm a, can I say in, in a little less conquery way, because just from my, my, my peaceful soul, it, it, I need to hear it said that way. You're, and you're right, because the Rebbe said in uh, the Sikha Parshish Noyach, I think it was Nun Aleph, 
that we don't conquer anymore. The man's way is to conquer and the gender of the world is transitioning. You know that Rebbe said that? That the gender of the world is transitioning? You're, you're just full of surprises tonight. The world is becoming more feminine. We're entering Yem Shekuli Shabbos, which is Malchus. And the old masculine paradigms of force and coercion are outmoded, outdated. Today, everything is through nurture. So, you know, you win them over. You love them. So as a more feminine of, of the two brothers here, I'll say this, um, that uh, you to say, take, all the, take those things, the things that, we, that, that make you afraid and, and, and use them for our agenda. I'll say, use, take them and fi- figure out how they can help us discover more Torah. Like there's, there's corners and, and, and spaces and little hidden nooks and crannies all throughout Torah, the space, the geography of Torah that have yet to be explored and revealed. And the way we get to them is by, is these different ways of looking at things and these different. That's right. That's right. And, and it may not be that you can do it, but if you're Makata of somebody who comes from that milieu and they learn Torah, maybe they'll discover those Chidushim. But instead of writing them off and saying, well, because of their political stance, they're irredeemable, which I never heard. It's a very new thing. I never heard Lubavitcher saying that any segment of Claudius at all was irredeemable until recently, which I blame on YouTube, Facebook, and the social media algorithms. You, you blame the robots. I blame the robots. Yeah, that's right. And... So instead of saying that any segment of Claudius is irredeemable because your favorite uh, talk radio pundit convinced you that such and such person is evil and irredeemable, how about we say, you know what? There's something that person has that Claudius needs in order to bring Mashiach, and they're misusing it right now. They're misusing it for a non-Torah or even anti-Torah agenda but we're going to nurture the relationship and bring them over and use out their potential for Klai Yisrael. There, So basically there's a lot of things out there that are Gematria 770 already. And just to repeat what you were saying, Tzarfas yeah. was always 770. Yeah, but there's a whole bunch of things. I mean, but just, it did, I need to combine it. a lot of different Love letters it. and a lot Love of different people. Most people come on for five minutes and leave. So I need to repeat your vort. You were yeah. making reference to your vort from 30 minutes ago. Yeah. You were saying that Ebbe says, Sarfas, France is 770. And you were pointing out, well, it was Sarfas is the biblical name for the country. That's, that name is, 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 is thousands of years old. So it was always called Sarfas. It was always 770. So how come it was anathema? How come we had to recoil from it as recently as 200 years ago in the Alfred Ebbe's time? And today we could use it. Not that it changed. It was always 770, but we didn't have the right approach. We didn't have the right angle because the fear that could ever hadn't come to 770 and made 777770. So we couldn't tap into it. But a time came when we could tap into it. We could use it. So there's a lot of things that we couldn't use previously. We didn't have the right way to approach it. And so we were just sort of avoiding it and saying, I don't know how to deal with this. And maybe it's because we couldn't. And maybe 20 years ago, we couldn't deal with it. Or 50 years ago, we couldn't deal with it. Like a netter, like you make a netter that whatever, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that, right? And uh, yeah, a person takes something that's mutter and says, I can't deal with it. That's what a netter is. I'll this. 
somebody admitting that although this thing has a use, I'm not ready to use it properly yet. And I think the Chiddush of this Sicha and all of the other Sichas from that um, year or two was the Rebbe telling us that anything that exists in the world, obviously within the confines of halacha, and I'm going to repeat that for those who willfully want to misunderstand me, obviously within the confines of halacha, you know they'll still willfully misunderstand me. <laughs> and I'll say it a third time, everything within the confines of halacha yeah. can be and must be used for Jews and Torah. All right. Are, are we supposed to keep on going or are we going to end at some point? It's up to you. You have anything you want? I think to we got, I think we got to a nice takeaway. Um, the, the, the last thing is to, is, is, is just to repeat. And I think we said it before, but repeat the, the, like the empowerment message that like, just everybody should go do this. Everybody should, should be, be thinking about, about, I mean, we, we gave a nice, or you did, you gave a nice little, little uh, exercise. So like you mentioned before, you mentioned earlier that, the, that when the Rebbe would give Rashi Sikhs and then the Rebbe was surprised that people weren't, ta- like you learn a Rashi Sikha, every Rashi Sikha has in it the rule that the Rebbe, the cloud that Rebbe used to right. come up with the Chiddush and the Sikha. And the Rebbe was surprised that people just didn't, weren't doing that on their own. Um, so you, you gave a nice, came up with a nice claw that other that an easy way to 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 come up with new mashiach mindsets would be to uh to to find the the ideologies that you're supposed to be afraid of and i'm and i'm going to say it even more forcefully if i haven't already but if there's a culture that you feel as a frumayid you hate despise reject or are even afraid of, and search your soul, maybe it's also fear. You have to figure out how, somehow, the existence of that ideology, that attitude, that worldview can be appropriated to further the agenda of Jews and Judaism. Right, you can find something in it that will help you understand Torah and Judaism. Even if it's just the willingness to engage with Avas Yisrael, those Jews who come from those ideologies. You know, can I really, can I, can I let loose a little bit, David? <laughs> you haven't yet? No. All right. No, no not oh, no, I, is... <laughs> no, I have not. There's a lot. You've more. already said a, a, a lot of, of shocking things. But yes, please let loose. You said the world is transitioning. I'm still getting over that one. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And people will willfully take it out of context, and that's okay because they can't downvote me on YouTube anymore. No, they Listen, cannot. there's a shliach. I don't know if I should say who it is because he didn't give me permission to say it. It's not, not a bad so, thing at all. It's something good? You're going to say something nice about them? Yeah, it's something really good. It's actually mm-hmm. one of your biggest fans. Oh. Heck, I'm just going to say it's Baruch Hacht from Brentwood, and he's a huge Ichigaduzi fan. You know that? And a friend. He told me a great story. To me, it was just great. He said that after Trump got elected, um, the next morning in shul, everyone was happy. You know, who's who's his clientele? Morning minion. Um, You know, 
like a lot of Persians. It's it's Brentwood. It's like an upscale neighborhood in L.A. And so he said everyone was happy. And he said he looked on the Shluchim Achdos, you know, the the forum where the Shluchim are posting, oh, no, what am I going to do? How am I going to face my people? They're going into, like, absolute shutdown. Uh, Like, I don't even know how to talk to them. They're they're, they're panicking. They're they're saying they're going to leave the country. And he's like, I'm looking around like, I'm not having that experience. My whole minion is happy. And he said, now I realize I haven't been doing enough Mivtsoyim. Because if I'm surrounded currently by one type of person, <laughs> clearly I need to hit the streets. Right. Because the Jewish world is full of people who are not happy about that. Why are they not here? Right. I got to hit the streets because if my Chabad house looks like one segment of Klal Yisrael, that's that's a problem. That's a problem. So I think what happened is that Baruch Hashem, the Rebbe was so successful with Shlichus that it became normalized. And now we have the luxury to only surround ourselves with people who we consider to be easier to talk to. 20 years ago, it was understood that every Shabbat table at every Shliach's house is going to have someone who's going to say a radical political position. It was just, no, that was that was that Shabbat dinner, that you're going to have somebody who's going to espouse some radical political position and that's just that's that's part of the fun. That's part of the part of the mix. And now I guess there's so much success, at least for some. Are, are you suggesting that that sometimes now we are actually converting the hippiness out of the hippies and losing something in the process? I'm saying that the hippies aren't hippies anymore, and that's not because of Chabad. That's just because of. Mm-hmm. Like, that right. happened in general society but i'm saying the hippies of today the uh-huh. young radicals of today of 2021 why are they not at our shabbos table if, if, if they aren't why aren't we engaging them and if they won't come to the shabbos table then why aren't we standing in the park engaging them why aren't we finding jews who have the, who we have the hardest time speaking politics with and putting filling on with them Wait, so that's your big that's your big shocking message is we should put filling on with with uh, liberals who scare us and not I thought your shocking message yeah. was that we should do that and then also learn from them. Well, you're not going to learn anything from it until you put filling on them. First, put filling on them. Right. First, have them at your Shabbos table. Give them a hug and eat some chicken soup together. <laughs> Sing a nigun together. And then automatically you'll learn stuff from them. When you learn Torah with people, you learn stuff from them. And you'll say, hey, you know what? That, that's good. Could use that. Oh, that thing you're doing? That's a good thing. Let's use that. Let's use that. Let's use that. Let's use that. Right. When the Rebbe said the Sikh about Tsarfas, he wasn't saying to go learn Voltaire. Chas <laughs> <laughs> The Rebbe wasn't saying, you know what we really need to do? We can fill 770 with a bunch of books by, by, by Michelle Foucault. Not what the Rebbe was saying. The Rebbe was saying, if there's a certain attitude 
we look every crown heights or knows what the frenchie attitude you know tishrei comes the frenchies are you know frenchies are on their way if you could take that frenchieism that frenchie kite and use it to bring mashiach not only you can you must so what's the tsarfas of today And, and I'm not even making such a big leap to make this Gzereshava, because if you understand the, 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 the cultural context of that Sikha, you understand what does the French Revolution and its culture represent? It represents liberal Western values. Right. It's not a jump. I'm not making a Gzereshava from one thing to another. I'm saying that in that Sikha is speaking about harnessing liberal Western values. So why are we hiding from it as if the Rebbe hadn't given us the tools of chassidus? I understand if you don't have chassidus, then you have to build higher ghetto walls. I understand if you don't have chassidus and you have no way of appropriating those things and using them for Yidin and for Yiddishkeit, then you have to hide from them. But if you were given the tools of chassidus, then we have to go take from those cultures and forget, I don't even mean culture is plural because each one of us lives in one culture, most of us. Just the culture that's around you. Just when you go grocery shopping, whatever the Jews that you meet at the grocery store are talking about, whatever they're into, okay? I'm not telling you to go find out what, what movies they're watching, God forbid, and go watch their movies and read their novels. That's not what the Rebbe was saying in that sicha either. What it's saying is, find out how a Jew like that thinks. And there's something about that thinking that can be brought over to Torah. Okay. All right. So that's all that you just gave us homework to do to find our Mashiach mindsets. And it is a Mashiach mindset in and of itself. We just learned it from the Sikha. And it's a way to expand our Mashiach mindset is go find somebody whose politics scare you and uh, figure out how you're going to understand Judaism in the world better because of them, of how they think. Yep. All right. Awesome. But that's not my culture. <laughs> yeah. What, what's your what's what liberal anthem are you going to sing? Oh, that's a. <laughs> we're not allowed to do that. That's a devilishing thing. I okay. Okay. <laughs> to that level, I I can't go, but. Yeah. All right. Were we supposed to I like to say, you know what I would say, Dovin? Yeah. I would say that wrapping the sea <laughs> would be, does everyone know about wrapping the sea? <laughs> wrapping the sea was the partial report. It should usually show partial report for Parshas Bashalach. Yes, it was. In 2002 or something. Five, four, I don't know. 2005, 2004. Well, 2006, and, John, I think it was. and Jano says a Krius Yamsuf rap. Yeah. And you got um, lambasted. <laughs> you got hate mail. <laughs> yeah. You got hate mail. Because it was Goyish. That it was Goyish. What do you what do you say to that, David? <laughs> yeah, it's... I think the other thing that you got lambasted for 
with Godzilla. Harshest, I'm a big student of Ichikaduzi, um, <laughs> as is Rabbi Haft from Brentwood has studied it. Um, Parshas, I believe it was um, Mikates, where Yasef so. became the ruler of Mitzrayim. And so it was all about Yasef becoming the ruler and something about being a leader of a government. Yeah, and being the vice president. And then Jana was president. running for vice president or something. And then Jana was running for vice president against King Kong. Yeah. King Kong? Yeah, I, I, I forget what the tickets were. Yeah, it was King Kong. Yeah. And you got lambasted. <laughs> Is that the right word? Am I using the right word? Lambasted? Oh, it's lambasted? I don't know. I like putting the accent in weird places and seeing what happens. All you right. Know, we, we can go on forever, Chase. I think we should have mercy on people and say that we have, have finished. Really? I, I, I mean, unless somebody... Can I tell you something about us, David? I want to tell you something about us. Tell, tell me something about us. I've learned this recently. I get, and I'm not saying this is true about all of the people who listen to me, but I think it's true of a lot of them. I get bored of hearing myself talk a lot sooner than they get bored of hearing me listen. I had to get over that inferiority complex. I would always cut things short because I figured everyone's bored. <laughs> But that, I, I really believe See, that. I'm, I'm, com- I'm, I'm, I'm coming from the, the place where three minutes is my cap on how long I think people will listen to what I have to say. I make videos like three minutes, seven minutes, maybe if you've got a really interesting story. Can I tell you something, David? I make videos that are half an hour. And I also think, how is anyone listening after 90 seconds? But I think people want to hear about this, David. I think they're right. interested in your unique. You've got an interesting take on things, David. Thank you. Thank you. I do. Isn't that the point? Ah! Thank you. That's the point. Everybody's got an interesting take. And everyone's got an interesting take on things that is a product of their cultural milieu. Yes. You like using that word now. Well, it's a French word. Yeah. Croissant. What? Do you say croissant? Croissant. Crescent? Crescent. Crescent. Croissant? Oh, he said uh, baguette. Baguette. Yeah, baguette. So tell us a little bit about using the cultural milieu. Oh, so that was your point. That's why you were talking about those Ichikaduzi videos where, where I used things that were from like modern American culture. And uh, Medina doesn't just mean English, Russian, French, Spanish. A language isn't just a language. A language is uh, a set of references. Right. Well, the way, of, the way of talking, not just the words you use, but the ideas and the context. So I think the, the question at that time, and, I'll, and, and I think this is relevant, is like, okay, well, who is this for? Is this, is this a Kirov? Is this Kirov for the outsiders, in which case using their language can be justifiable? Or is it for as insiders, in which case exposing our Pratyra our Kinder to King Kong and to, to rap music is, uh, is, is, is a bad influence? Um, 
And it seems like we're, what we're suggesting here is, again, uh, with the, the disclaimer that you said, of course, as long as it is not in conflict with everything is LP, as long as it's LP halacha, <coughs> um, we're kind of taking down that barrier and saying like, well, it's not for, Kirov isn't for them. No, the I'm, not, prim, no, I'm not saying that, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, look, so, no, I'm saying it though. What I'm saying, oh, you're is saying that. The premise, okay, I wasn't saying that. I what I'm saying now is what their children should be exposed to. And what if, you say, if Chabad.org gets through the filter on your on your internet in the house, that means they're also reading articles about divorce. So, <laughs> so, so what? So Jana was rapping. So you have to make a decision whether or not to let that in right. your house. But, uh, but I, I, I want to empower parents. <laughs> you're empowering parents to make their own decisions about internet filters. But what right. I think, I think that there was, there was, there's a, there's a, 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 a flaw in the original, in the original question, which is like, is it for the outsiders or is it for us? And the, the, I think the flaw is that, is that actually that's nothing's that when we, first of all, the whole outsider or insider thing is silly, but doing the things that we're doing for other people are, are not for other people. They are for us as we're all doing it together. And we are all, and we're also already part of it together. Like the, the assumption that we're somehow not part of that culture already is, is we are, we're living here and we're in it. And the question is, how are we going to interact with it? And, and what are we going to learn and, and about well, ourselves? And Judaism so here's there? what I'll say. So people will not have to be unnecessarily upset at me. They can be upset at me only as much as necessary. <laughs> I think Winston Churchill was the one who said the definition of an anti-Semite is someone who hates Jews more than necessary. So <laughs> I don't want anyone to be mad at me more than necessary. Um, let me explain something to you like this. Pinya Korf, all of So one of the famous things is that he walked into uh, the, the Zal on the day that the, the, the Iran uh, terrorist, uh, you know, there was a whole thing in 1979, I believe it was, where there were hostages um, hostages in the embassy, U.S. embassy in Tehran, and it was a whole. It was like the front page news every day for a year. And then they got out, and Pinyakov came into yeshiva, and everyone was talking about it. And he, what, what, what are you talking about? He, he didn't even know that such a thing existed. Am I saying that Pinyakov should have learned about it? He, he would have taught Chassidus better. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that because his cultural milieu was authentically. He was a you know the, the Russian Neville style. That was his style. So he, it's his job to teach from that milieu. But um, if there's somebody who does know about those things already, then it's his job to teach that kind of style, that language. I'm not saying people should go out and 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 consume non-Jewish culture. I, I'm I'm echoing what you're saying. You're saying we already have it by cultural osmosis. You're already aware. Yeah. Of it. You're already exposed to it. So it's not a question. What, of, what are we doing with it? Are we are we just ignoring it? Or are we right? So you know that it exists. It, you know, if if you lived in a ghetto where you didn't even know about it, okay, fine. So you don't know about it. So please don't go and find out about it. But you do know it exists. So now right. that you know that it exists. Like we said before, Tsarfas was all, always Gematra 770. It only became relevant once the figure had been moved into 770. There's a story that Ebbett told about a guy that when uh, when they when they, they did the Hachtorah for Nikolai, 
for Nicholas II. He was Nicholas Romanov, the one who got killed in 1917. We spoke about him earlier. He got uh, shot by the Bolsheviks. But anyways, there was a Nikolai, uh, Nicholas I, from like 70, 80 years earlier. So there was some some old guy in Lubavitch who said he, he heard everyone's talking that, that Tsar Nicholas got coronated. I don't understand. He got coronated when I was a kid. This guy didn't know. He didn't right. He didn't in Lubavitch, even that was considered a mufshat. It was a, considered a guy who's out of the loop. And the Rebbe told the story, Lemalyosa, not to laugh at the guy, that, that that was a beautiful thing. He had a certain purity. Let's make sure everyone understands. A guy who doesn't know that, that Nicholas I died and there were two, three czars in between, and then a Nicholas II got coronated. That's beautiful. Great. We don't want to, <laughs> we're not here to uh, teach Shluchim to be cool and which newspapers to read, Chas v'sholem. What we're saying is you live in a cultural milieu already. Everyone lives in a culture. Everyone lives in a culture. So right. just what culture do you, Bashkaha Pratas, live in? And what from that culture is not yet being used to advance Yiddishkeit? And the answer to that question is probably the same stuff that's bothering you right now. And the reason it's bothering you is because it's not being used to advance Yiddishkeit. So you're experiencing it as antagonistic. But it's your job that I'm saying, I believe. Can I play devil's advocate? Make it not be antagonistic. Can I play devil's advocate and ask you, why isn't it our job then to, to, to be mevar Western conservative values? It is. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's our value to be mavara. Everything that Alpi Torah can be, can be used to advance the agenda of the Jewish people. I was only focusing on liberalism because the Sikh is actually about liberalism. Mm. <laughs> Napoleon represented a major watershed the French Revolution itself represents probably the most tumultuous watershed event in the promulgation and advancement of Western, what we refer to as Western liberal values in history. And the Rebbe is referring to it in that context. Right. And saying all the cultural fallout, the negativity that came from it is undeniable, undeniable. And with all of that, there comes a time where we have to put it to work. So you live in a culture already. You live in a culture already. What's up, David? I was just looking at my WhatsApp to see if they were trying to, I, I muted it. And I was looking at it to see if, if we were being asked to stop yet. They said we can go as long as we need to. See, David, that's part of your insecurity. Yeah. David, who hurt you? No, don't answer this. Probably me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. David's seven years younger than me. So any trauma he has, probably I was involved. Okay. All right, David, you got to get over your inferior inferiority complex. They want to hear you. The people want to hear you, David. 
the the reason I keep on looking at my watch, looking at my clock that I can't read is because uh, it's an analog face clock. Analog face clock, yeah. I, I I got frozen pizza waiting for me is the real answer. Oh really? And I'm ruining yeah. that. Yeah, but no, I, frozen I, I honestly is cultural appropriation. That pizza is cultural appropriation. Can I tell you something, David? Isn't it funny that like herring, herring is like this chassidish Michael, you know herring. Oh, Aaron, you know, Aaron, you know, yeah. it's so Jewish, right? Herring is so Jewish. Yeah. You think in Bavel they ate herring? Absolutely. You think so? You think Raven Shmuel knew, had, had herring? I think they ate kugel and herring. And pcha <laughs> and yabchik. Knedelach. Yeah. So my point is that I think you were saying this before as well, that wherever Jews have you been. You know what they color, did? They ate kutach. Kutacha Bavli. <laughs> what is Kutacha Bavli? It's like fermented bread crust. Bread crust with it, it's moldy bread. Moldy bread. Or stale. I'm not sure if it's moldy or stale. Maybe yeah. both. And it's just like mixed up with whey, I think. Yeah. No whey. <laughs> and then turn into a, some sort of dip and then you dip more bread into it. Yeah. And imagine if you would bust that out. At some like some bris in Borough Park, <laughs> and people like. But, by the way, there's a there is a whole discussion in Gemara, but, uh, an argument between the the Israeli Amirayim and the and the Babylonian ones about whether kutach is good. Right, because they had a little different culture. Yeah. Rava. Yeah, yeah, so that was a, a cultural thing that they included. Yeah, it talks about like it's part of it. Like you yeah. could sit and learn just the recipe for kutach habavli, and you'd be yitzid limon atayra. You'd be chayiv and birkas atayra. What? You'd be chayiv and birkas atayra. You'd be chayiv and birkas atayra. Yeah, you'd make a bracha. To write make. it up. Write it up. <laughs> yeah. What, what, write what up? Just the recipe for kutach habavli. Yeah. All right. I, I have personally, I feel like we've gotten where we need to go. Do you have, do you have more in you that you need to get out? I've said what I need to say. It's all up to you, David. Um, I feel like we got into a good place. I think that again, the only thing that I would reiterate is just how important it is for everybody to, to do, do this on their own, to play with the, it's, it's playfulness. And to me, the, the most important t- part of these types of conversations that we have together is the playfulness. Everybody, to just have whimsical. It's whimsical. Sort of whimsical. Play with the ideas and 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 move have the fun. pieces around and come up with new ones. And that's how I mean the only way to get a Mashiach, Mashiach mindset. If you strip down everything else, it just like in a simplest form, or at least a simple part of it, is that it is a way of looking at the world that you are not currently looking at the world. So, in order to get to a Mashiach mindset, you have to look at things differently. And everybody should take some time and get together and do it whether it be learning sikhs to, to find new pathways to open or even just talking about it and thinking about it and playing with ideas together or, or alone. By the way, can I stop you a second? Because yes. you said a word, a huge word, and you glossed over it. You said to learn a sikha to find pathways. Okay. Because I think a lot of people, when they learn a sikha, they want to know pshat, which is very important, and they want to be able to give over pshat. They don't necessar- necessarily see it as a pathway. 
you're laughing because you don't you don't talk to people, so you don't know how people mm-hmm. learn. But no, I'm, no, no, I'm laughing because you're you're right. You, you picked out something interesting. I'll talk, yeah. can I tell you a secret? People yeah. see me sometimes at, at, at show uh, learning weird, obscure my mind, and um, and and I look smart when I do it. But some, but the secret is a lot of the times I'm just doing it until I find an, in, uh, an interesting mind mechanics. And I just follow that to, to like some some Gemara I never learned before or something, and just stay there. Just just as an example of finding pathways. Yeah, like the wiki trance where you just keep clicking yeah. link after link after link. So you look up Mara Mikaimis, and it takes you one one yeah. place takes you to another place takes you to another place. Yeah, but yeah, not even that. I think. Finding pathways means, and then after you've explored a hyperlink of a hyperlink of a hyperlink, now you have a mahalacha machshova, you have a new way of thinking, and you apply it to a subject that you didn't even study inside. Right. And this is what you were talking about before, you know, you're saying that, <laughs> that Rabbi Shapiro taught you when you learn a sicha, it's a derech alimud, it's a way of thinking. He has a great story, by the way, of when he went to a Fabrengen. He was a Bachar. He went to a Fabrengen in Boston. Um, he made a Yudtes Kislev Fabrengen with uh, J.B. Soloveitchik. And he said Soloveitchik spoke for like two and a half hours. So you're all insecure that we spoke for not even an hour, <laughs> an hour and 55 minutes. J.B. Soloveitchik spoke for two and a half hours. And anyways, afterwards, there was a Fabrengen, and the Briske were very into Rambam, especially uh, Hilchas Tshuva. So the Rebbe had been saying sikhas about uh, Geras HaTshuva from, from the Rambam and about uh, Geras HaTshuva from, from, from Tanya. And so they were speaking in Yonim of, of Hilchas Tshuva. Anyways, they wrote up a duch, Label Shapiro and whatever other Bacham there were, they wrote up a duch to the Rebbe. The, and and they, they said that we spoke about uh, these concepts, Hilchas Tshuva. And the Rebbe like circled it. The only comment I believe that he made on the Duch was Bevadai Shoklu Vitoria Ben Yonim Shalahem Veleirak Masha Meduber Behisvadas. Certainly they engaged in a give and take with their own ideas and not merely that which was said at the Fabrengens. And the Rebbe was referring, of course, to his own fabrengens, the Rebbe's fabrengens, right. meaning he would have been disappointed to hear that these Bachram had only hazard the sikhas that the Rebbe said at the fabrengens. Right. They wanted, and, and, and you could say, maybe it's because the Rebbe wanted that, uh, that uh, the Rav, the Rav Salavechik should see that uh, the Lubavitcher Bachar can learn, he can hold his own enigma, but I think it was a, a general approach of the Rebbe that say chedoshim, <laughs> did you learn? Did you learn what I said? Then show that you learned it. Say your own. Say your own. That's what the Rebbe was very into the Ha'aris and writing up your own scholarly articles. And that that's very important. It's a part of your, uh, as your part of your development as a, as a, as a study, as a, as a student of, of, of Torah, to be able to think creatively and critically. Yes, so we are encouraging everybody to to be mechanish their own eschatological tradition. Yes, we are. I can tell you're really in pain, so I don't want to. I want that pizza. You want that pizza.
Anyway. Were we supposed to do a, like a, a question and answer thing? Was that? No, a, no, I no. don't like Q and A. All right, good. We're not doing that. We asked each other questions. We asked each other questions. We answered them. And we answered them. All right, all right. I'm gonna go eat pizza. Okay, that's an Italian word. That is an Italian word. Is it pizza? It means pie. Is that true? I believe so. Can any Italians correct me? Hang on. We're going to make this go a little bit longer because I'm going to find out how to say pie in Italian and see if I'm right. Ask Rabbi Lazar. He'll say it with the accent, even. Oh, it says torta. I, I, I was wrong. I, I, I torta is probably a cake, though. Now I'm going to, but I, all right, I'm going to translate pizza from pizza. Italian from pizza, pizza, like that. Pizza. And English. Spaghetti. Oh, you know what the, what, you know what pizza, pizza translates as into what? English? What? Pizza. According to Google Translate. Cultural appropriation complete. <laughs> All right. I want to tell you one last story, then we're going to go. Please do. One last story, and somebody send this man a pizza to make up for the one that I ruined. <laughs> What's your cash app? Someone send this guy $20 in cash app so he can get a pizza. I didn't order a pizza. I have frozen pizza. I, I, I'm, I can go make it. Okay, so listen to me. Remember when I got really obsessed with Antipodes? Yes. Okay, the Biblical Antipodes. Antipodes. Yeah, it's called Antipodes. Antipodes. It's spelled, spelled A A N. Let me do it like spelling me. A N T I P O D E S. Antipodes. Oh, Antip it's not antipode. It's Antipodes. No, no, Antipodes. Like antithesis, not antithesis. Right. Antipodes. Antipodes. Anti means against. Pod is like foot, like a podiatrist yeah. is a foot doctor. So Antipodes means if you stand on the earth, the earth is a ball. If you stand at any point of the earth, your feet are pointing toward the center of the earth. So the person on the exact opposite side of the earth, his feet are pointed towards yours. So like in England, they refer to Australia as the Antipodes because it really is like almost as far halfway around the world. When you're, in the, when you're at the Antipodes from any given point, every point on the earth has its Antipodes. And when you're at the Antipodes of any given point, so it's like actually the JFK flight, I don't think they have it anymore, but JFK used to have a flight to Singapore. Depending on the winds, they would fly east or west because it was equidistant hmm. when you're at that you know, when you're at that point of being that far away each way is so if you go to the antipodes of jerusalem let's say which is in the middle of the south pacific sea there's no there's no land there but if you took a boat to the antipodes of jerusalem you'd have 10 men stand on the deck of a boat fit in a circle all facing outward and they could dive in Shemineser. because every direction every direction of the compass would be equidistant to yudashalai Huh. So I got really obsessed with Antipodes because the Rebbe starts talking about this concept of about the lower hemisphere, right? And you got to get under it. That, that, what is the lower hemisphere? Eretz Yisrael is the top. Is, that's why we call it Aliyah. It's always Aliyah going up because we're, we have a boreal-centric view. You know what a boreal-centric view is? No. Well, you know what Aurora Borealis is? Uh, the the northern star northern lights northern lights. boreal means northern aurora means oh northern. Bo boreal centric means a northern biased view so whenever you look at a globe north's on top what's happens why what, what, north's on top why is north on top yeah why because <laughs> we're boreal centric okay 
but we got We shouldn't be because as Yidden, we should be Eretz centric. Which is what? That Israel would be. What the would the word be? What? What would the I, word I be? I don't have a word for it yet. But listen to me. You put Israel. You reorient the globe so Israel's on the top of the globe. Yeah. And Yerushalayim is the pole, like the North Pole, South Pole. Here's right. the pole of Kedusha. And then the exact opposite, the antipodes of that is the pole of not yet Kedusha. And that's where we have to go. The Rebbe is saying, which was Chof Chasivah, the Rebbe and the Rebbe coming to America, was getting up underneath the world and lifting the whole thing up, right? Where is that? But is it, is it in America? I, I said five minutes ago, it's in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean. There's no land. I'm sorry, there. I was looking up the pronunciation of the word. Of what? Pizza? Or in uh, <laughs> Um. No, it's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay. South Pacific Ocean. The closest land to it. Don't you remember the closest land to it is Rapa'iti? Yes. And I contacted the Polynesian studies expert and I asked him if there's a, con a connection between Rapa'iti and Rapa Nui because Rapa Nui people, their mythology says they're the belly button of the world. And the Rambam yes. refers to a concept called Tabara Oritz, which right. some of Hashem say means the opposite or the antipodes of Yerushalayim. And I texted or I emailed this Polynesian studies expert and asked him and he said, Rabbi, stay away. Do not rep, do not tarnish your reputation and your good name by getting involved in Polynesian studies. It is a veritable viper's den. He scared me off. He told me that the Polynesian studies professors are all cutthroat. Yeah. So I stayed out of it. But you know that when I get interested about a concept, I find the experts about it in the world. And I, <laughs> I want to know, is there any, is there any like academic study that, that is not a viper's den? They're all viper's dens because you got to <laughs> understand in the academic world, you're jockeying for position with some ridiculously like specific expertise. I wanted to study something. I'll talk about another time, maybe about how the Tzemach Tzedek said that the Alter Rebbe told him before his Histalkus that the whole Tadus of Al-Shemtev was revealed through the battle plans of Frederick the Great at the Battle of Leuton. And so I contacted an expert of European history to ask him about the Battle of Leuton, Frederick yeah. the Great. Yeah. And this guy told me his entire, his entire expertise is figuring out which zip codes in America have the most representatives of Shtetelach from Europe. <laughs> and he asked me if I could get him a tzach list. <laughs> okay, at any rate, I'm getting off the point here. Okay. So the Antipodes, the Rebbe said, the Rebbe and the Rebbe came to America, up underneath the world, to the opposite place from where Taito was given. This is the, the head of the world, you got to come to the bottom, from the bottom, you have leverage, you lift it, you lift the whole world, okay? And I mean, not even it's pretty explicit in the Sicha, let me have confidence, is that our ability to lift up a lot of stuff that couldn't be lifted before, like you were saying before, that until the Fidic Rebbe came to 770, you couldn't be Mavarat Sarfas. So the ability to lift up a lot of stuff that couldn't be lifted before was because the Rebbe and the Rebbetson came to America, to this geographical location, which is the bottom of the world, if you put Eretz on the top. So I wrote an article about this, and I put it out in the Huffington Post, which okay. is, to me, by the way, part of what we're talking about. Huffington Post is a very, very, you know, liberal, I don't know if it still is, but 10 years ago, whenever I put this thing out, and, 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 and it's a very liberal platform, and I put out this article about Chof uh, Chassivan, and I tried to translate it into words that would be relevant to, to regular uh, Americans. Anyways, 
So, and in that article, I wrote a sentence. It said something like, if the land of Israel is the pole of holiness in this world, where is its antipodes? Some sentence like that. So a few years later, I got interested in antipodes again. And I wanted to learn more about it. So I Googled the word antipodes. And the first result that came up was some dictionary website where the whole purpose of this dictionary website was that they would find across the web modern usage of rare terms and show you how to use that word and it in was a yours? modern context. And it was mine. So I, I go to the dictionary. <laughs> I go to the dictionary site and it says the word antipodes. It says modern usage. If the land of Israel is the pole of holiness in the world, where is its antipodes? <laughs> Linking back to my Huffington Post article. So I, you, you, it, it became this weird recursive loop that ate so, itself. And, and so listen to me. And <laughs> after that happened, I said, you know, it's interesting. I used a fancy English word to explain a concept in Chassidus. And now the world is using a concept in Chassidus to explain, to explain a fancy English word. That is Chotzikadra Tachtain. What does Chotzikadra Tachtain mean? It means that the cultural appropriation is so complete that the word, the Hasidic term, is the only way the world has to describe itself. When the professors will be forced to use Hasidic terminology and ideas to talk about their own field of expertise, that's Mashiach. But how are they going to know those things if we're not teaching right. them, if we're afraid of them, if we try to cut them out and say they have nothing to offer? They have everything to offer. They have a language. Let's use that language. If that, to say we don't want to use the language of a certain ideology is as patently ridiculous as we don't want to use the language of a particular nation. Oh, you can't translate this into Russian. You know how many programs were started by Russians? Right. We have to translate Chassidus and engage in serious discourse about Chassidus in every language and every subcultural jargon. All right. Go eat your pizza. Thank you. All right. Good to everybody, and especially to you. Not, well, not especially. I don't wish you a better week than I wish everybody else. But I just one like everyone else, David. But yeah, but you're my brother, and I love you, and, and I'm happy we got to talk you're to you. My me. brother, and I love you, and thank you. It's always so fun to talk to you. All right. Bye, bye, everybody. <laughs>